Join me, Jacqueline Coley, on a brand new podcast, Seen on the Screen, presented by Make It Universal and Rotten Tomatoes. Meet the innovative people at NBC Universal as they share their journeys, inspirations, and the movies that shape them. Each episode is an intimate and fun conversation about the impact of film. Seen on the Screen is available now. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Everyone, and welcome back to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. It's your girl, Jacqueline, and I'm back with my beloved co-host, Mr. Mark Ellis. How you doing, Mark? Beloved. Wow. This is, a, this is an upgrade. I will tell everybody that I got a very special invitation. I cannot say what it's pertaining to, but it's an exclusive guest list that Jacqueline hooked me up with. So, Oh, yes, I did. Very excited about that. <laughs> There may be Instagram photos that some of you may see soon of me and Mark out in the wild. That's all I will say. Yeah, we're going to make everybody peanut butter and jelly, especially jelly. Uh, But of course, we're back again with another episode. And this time, this is a highly, highly requested, highly talked about. (laughs) I feel like every like six months on Twitter, people are like going off about how much they love this film. And shout out to Lizzie from Guadalajara. She is one of Mark's followers on Twitter, and she has been begging for us to cover a Brendan Fraser film. This is the episode. This is the time because we are talking about the 1999 classic The Mummy, which is currently rated at 61% fresh on the tomato meter, but has a 75% audience score. So let's just talk about it. Brendan Fraser, who Mark, did you read like his like GQ? Have you been following this like resurgence? I was going to do a deep dive into Brendan Fraser last night, and I got swept away watching not only The Mummy, but then The Mummy Returns. And I mean, I know a lot about Brendan Fraser just because I've been a huge fan of his ever since I saw the movie in theaters that I wanted to talk about. Encino Man didn't get enough support from the brass, and so now we're talking about The Mummy instead, which is fine. <laughs> he still actually does get a scene where he looks like Link from Encino Man in this movie. I was just about to say that. And- a little Encino Man shout out at the beginning. But but I mean, yeah, so so you follow sort of what he's been through, what his career, what his life has been through in the last couple of decades. It's it's I'm so happy that we are having this appreciation for Brendan Fraser resume and have fans all over the world say, no, you know what? We love the guy now and we loved his movies back in the 90s. I think this might be a little bit of love fest, guys, I, I have to say. So if you're not in for that, you might you might want to just put a turn us down a little bit. But Eric Striffler, creator and co-host of Pretty Much It, his YouTube channel. He is with us today. And so, Eric, I have to ask you, is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about The Mummy? Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. 60, what was it, 61%? Yes. It's a travesty. It's disgusting. (laughs) 
And uh, I have a huge problem with that. <laughs> Good. Like that I is, said. That is not a passing grade, is it? That's not a passing grade. It's barely a D. It's, it's barely it's a, a D. D. No, you, you're still get a degree with a 61. percent I'm and and I know from personal experience. Okay, you still get a diploma if you have a D minus average. Yeah, but okay. you're not getting any good jobs. Just remember that nobody is recommending you for the like coveted internship with. Bees. I have a great job. I have many great jobs. <laughs> None of which is what you went to school for, though. But that is this industry. Let's That's be fair. honest. Uh, Mark, though, let's go ahead and use that that Jesuit and uh, Wake Forest education of yours, sir, if you don't mind, and give us the plot breakdown and the pertinent partners of The Mummy, if you it will, It is sir. a Baptist school. I, be- I don't know if it was first or southern. It's, it's not affiliated with the Baptist church at all, so we might as well get into, <laughs> speaking of religion, we're going all the way back to BC times, which is even before Bart Starr led the Packers to the very first Super Bowl championship. This is like, I don't know, the 1200s BC. You got this high priest, Imhotep, and Imhotep, <laughs> you know what? Guys, am I right? He has an affair with the one person he's not supposed to have an affair with, so he gets cursed for all eternity. He's buried alive. It's not a good situation back then in Thebes, which is in Egypt. And so then you cut to slightly more modern times, where now we are in AD, and we have Brendan Fraser around the 1900s, 1920s, I'd say. He's an adventurer, and he gets very close because he is being chased by an army. He gets very close to kind of discovering this sort of lost city, and then he gets locked up for a couple of years, and then there's this librarian played by Rachel Weisz, and her brother, they decide to go on this quest to discover this lost city as well, because they have part of a map. They run into Brennan Fraser, they pale him out of jail, and now we're off on this adventure where it's a race against time, it's a race against other factions, and once we get to that city, it's also a fight against pure, cursed, mummified evil to survive and it's a roller king adventure that feels in the vein of indiana jones and maybe it's one of those movies that the film jungle cruise is like hey we want to kind of be like indiana jones but maybe a little bit of the mummy vibe too released back in 1999 and jacqueline the kids still love it today i am with that that in, that incredible synopsis mark although i will say because it's like maybe like the more classic film fan in me let's be honest uh Actually, The Mummy was ripping off Romancing the Stone, which was ripping <laughs> off uh, Sierra Madre. So it's like it's all a rip off of a rip off of a rip off. But very, that very is fair. neither that is neither here <laughs> nor there. Uh, let's go ahead and bring uh, Eric back to us. So you gave us a little bit of a tease of why Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. But like break it down for us. Why do you love this film? Why do you feel that it's wrong? Well, I should say right out of the gate here, uh, you're, since this is an audio medium, you'll have to read it for me, but I'm going to stand up and show you what I'm wearing real quick. If you could describe it as you see it, what are you seeing here? Oh, I see. I see Brendan Fraser and okay. Rachel Weiss on a T-shirt, and it says the Mummy 1999 is perfect. Yeah. That is so, a great shirt, sir. And they will I wear see this, this proudly everywhere I go. <laughs> this does go up on YouTube and like on our streaming platform, O&O. So people will get to see people that People will greatness. get to see it. Yes, yeah. I, get, I get compliments everywhere I go. I can tell you, just even my opinion aside, I get compliments everywhere I go wearing this shirt. I was just at a bar recently and the bartender was absolutely loving it. And so uh, people are still loving it. People are still talking about it. Um, so it's really, it's not just me that I think I'm speaking for the people here when I say that this thing needs to be higher, this uh, score. And you said the audience score is only 75, but I think that it's only because like Rotten Tomatoes, this is all, uh, everything with, with the mummy is all, um, 
back, you know, you have to go back and review it again if you if you want it to be like really coming up on Rotten Tomatoes. And I don't think people are going back. If they, if Rotten Tomatoes was around when it came out, I guarantee that all the scores would be much higher. I think yeah. that um, uh, the critic scores maybe would be higher, but the audience score would be through the roof. I think. I think. <laughs> yes. I agree with you on that one. Um, also, though, real quick, I want to shout out Producey Lucy because she was absolutely losing it when she got to see your shirt, like literally yeah. stood up in the chair. I know. I wanted to keep it a surprise. Oh, that blew me away. Listen, I, th- I'm feeling the love right now. This movie, I'm going to steal from Stefan from SNL. This movie has everything. It's got <laughs> sexy suspenders. It's got Rachel Weiss's eyebrows. It's yeah. got a sexy mummy and Arnold Vosloo. Is that his name? Yeah. yeah. She loves yeah, his yeah, little yeah. chest and his little tums. It's so got hot. Benny. Character, the great character actor in all of Stephen Summers' films from the era. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's got sand. It's yeah. got scarab beetles. Oh, yeah. God. I don't even want to. I honestly feel like the scarabs like go out of my head because they're so freaky and disgusting. Oh, it really geez. is such a great, like that's scarier in, in a lot of ways than the mummy. But oh, yeah. Yeah. You don't want the, the mummy's not crawling into your brain at least. <laughs> I know. Mark, uh, I think I know the answer to this because I, I I know you're a man of taste, but go ahead and tell us, is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about The Mummy? I'll be honest with you, Jacqueline, Eric, Lucy's, you know, I always am 100% shoot from the hip honesty. I think Rotten Tomatoes is exactly right. I think they are exactly right with this movie. I think I can get it to fresh, but if this movie was like 57, 58%, I'd say Rotten Tomatoes is right. It's at 61%. I think Rotten Tomatoes is just fine. I think the movie's good. I think it's enjoyable. Do I think it's an all-time classic? No. Do I think it needs to be hailed as this incredible, life-changing, generation-defining movie? No. It's a it's a fun adventure that's got, you know, a little bit of cheese to it, a little bit of fun to it. I love Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz as the leads. They're my, my favorite part of the movie. I also love that Arnold Vosloo was one of the bad guys in the Van Damme classic Hard Target. So that is a nice attraction. But I just I, I again, it's a nice movie to watch. I don't know that it has to be this incredibly hailed and revered movie in 2021. Am I a bad person? Well, can yes. we just say also Arnold Vosloo villain in Agent Cody Banks? I just want to make sure that's out there, too. Oh, I forgot about Agent Cody Banks. <laughs> he's like a yeah. side villain. <laughs> he's like he's like uh, Jasper, the guy that Rufus. From yeah. the, the holiday. From He's the just holiday. Been, he was kind of typecast as a villain, but he does it very well. Uh, Mark, you hurt me. Um, you hurt me too. A lot with that one. Uh, I'm not going to say that your opinion is incorrect, but re-watching this film last night, I just could not just... I just Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. It is such a a fast moving movie. It, it, it really has this incredible pace to it that felt like you're on the adventure with them, which I really love in these adventure type movies. Also, I will correct the record. I said Sierra Madre. I meant to say African Queen, which is the Humphrey Bogart mm-hmm. going down the river one. Excuse me. It is early in the morning and it's already <laughs> award season. So just so you know, guys, my brain capacity goes downhill from here to the Oscars. But <laughs> <laughs> but I do think it's wrong. And And the great thing about it is you can't cast the kind of chemistry that Rachel and Brendan Fraser can. You can't cast him to be this lovable rogue. Like you could just, you either are Harrison Ford, you either are Brendan Fraser, you are Humphrey Bogart, or you aren't. Like you can't, or, or Michael Douglas in Romancing the Stone. And, and so I feel like it was a really perfect formula that granted was simplistic. And we also have to look, 
This is a 20 plus year old movie that has CGI that is pretty passable considering how old it is. Yeah. I'm like telling you CGI at that time was not this consistent. In fact, one of the sequels, Scorpion King, wishes that it had the CGI of this movie. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Uh, and we will discuss that one there. Um, but before we go ahead and break down all the movie talk and such, we want to go ahead and take a trip back to what the critics and audiences were saying with our favorite segment from our review curation manager, Mr. Tim Ryan. Here we go with Two Minutes with Tim. Few would make the claim that the 1999 version of The Mummy lives up to the eerie power of the 1932 Boris Karloff classic. But it's going for something completely different, combining the silly thrills of an old-school swashbuckler with state-of-the-art special effects for the time. Whether or not it succeeded is up for debate. It's at 61% on the tomato meter with 101 reviews, but it does have a 75% audience score. So what did the critics have to say? In a fresh review, Gary Thompson of the Philadelphia Daily News wrote, The Mummy, quite shamelessly, combines the imagery and serialized thrills of the Indiana Jones movies with the frenetic special effects energy of the Evil Dead movies, and has quite a bit of fun doing so. However, in a rotten review, Todd McCarthy of Variety wrote that The Mummy tries to have it both ways, sending up the adventure genre for laughs while also going for some mild shocks, but the sand slips through its fingers on both counts. The Rotten Tomatoes critics' consensus reads, it's difficult to make a persuasive argument for The Mummy as any kind of meaningful cinematic achievement, but it's undeniably fun to watch. Well, that's a wrap. Back to you folks. Well, I have to say, I think Tim definitely, you know, got the vibes and the feel, but I don't know if Tim is a big Mummy fan either. I'm, I'm curious about this one. He didn't sound thrilled. He didn't, he didn't sound, sound thrilled. thrilled. There's a good finale with That's a Wrap. I appreciated that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, also, let's talk about it, too. Um, this was in the infancy of Rotten Tomatoes. Like, like Rotten Tomatoes had just barely started up when this film uh, was sort of becoming into the mainstream. These were in the baby, baby days. Uh, Rotten well, that's Tomatoes what I was, was wondering. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was wondering. When I was saying, like, I wonder if, you know, Rotten Tomatoes is a, was as prevalent then as it is now. I wonder how it would look. That, that definitely impacts it, you know? Absolutely. Like, again, we were out there. Definitely not, you know, the huge thing that it is now, but we were out there and uh, there's still a lot of love to be had about this film. So let's go ahead and talk about why we love it. And we will try to shout down Mark uh, in our movie. <laughs> I talk. said it could be fresh. I'm fine with it being fresh. That's not enough. <laughs> not for this movie, sir. But it's OK. I don't even need to come for you that hard. The Internet will take care of you I on know. this one. Yeah, you're done, man. <laughs> You got the shout out early on from someone asking to do this and now you've lost a fan. I mean, literally, <laughs> they're going to turn on you. Sorry, Lizzie. Happens, happens to us all. All right, Brian, <laughs> let's go ahead and go over to Movie Talk. Cue the music. Okay, I kind of talked about this a little bit uh, when I was talking about why Rotten Tomatoes is wrong, but like this movie just moves and it seems it just goes from great action set piece or like really interesting fun setup to like great action set piece 
interesting, fun setup. And it just, it, it, the pace of it is incredible. I mean, the movie itself maybe takes place over the course of a long weekend, maybe, you know, like a few days. But um, Eric, what what is your favorite scene from the movie, favorite moments that you're like, yes? Oh, I, look, there's so many. The whole thing is burned into my brain. I, this is... So, okay, so I will say this. What's interesting is I think I saw The Mummy Returns first because I I was just old enough to see it in theaters. And then I didn't necessarily realize or care at that age that I was seeing a sequel before the first one. And it doesn't really matter that much. You know, you get the gist. But uh, when I went back and watched The Mummy, I watched it at home and I remember like vividly watching it the first time. And uh, and every time I watch it, it feels like I'm transported right back to that. Like it, it never loses its charm. It's always got the same charm from the very first time I watched it. And so it's hard to pick one scene but the first thing that always comes to mind because it feels like the type of thing that I maybe have quoted more often than anything it's the scene where uh, uh you're gonna know exactly what it is I, I'm trying to think of a way to say it where it won't exact immediately tell you what it is but the river when they're on either side of the river uh and uh Brendan Fraser of course is on one side with uh with the horses oh sorry uh, Benny's on one side with the horses and he says O'Connell I'm on it looks like who has all the horses and then, of course, Brendan Fraser says, hey, Benny, looks like you're on the wrong side of the river. And I feel like I say that in my life maybe yeah. once a week. I, it somehow <laughs> makes its way in once a week. Wow. That's a moment, and also his reaction where he kicks at the water. Uh, yeah. That is a moment that I feel like gets everything. Uh, th that encompasses like the feeling of the movie where you're like genuinely like, oh no, they don't have the horses. What are they going to do? But then immediately there's a big laugh. Like you said, it's sort of sending up the genre a little bit. Um, and uh, obviously you got the scary stuff in there as well. When I was a kid, it was scary. But I feel like that scene is is one that really sticks out to me for sure. I, I love that you that you point to that scene because that was one of the scenes that I had totally forgot about when I was rewatching the movie where this is basically the part of the film where we've rescued Brendan Fraser from captivity where we see him get arrested in the very first scene in the movie. And he looked like the caveman Link from inside. Casino man when he was in the cage and then we get him out just before his neck is stretched in a hanging they and hang so him. <laughs> he's back to being suave brendan fraser which is one of my favorite scenes in this movie too it's just that is, is that is that change from from rachel vice seeing this guy who tried to kiss her when he was in a cage and then they're like oh, i don't i don't know about this guy then he shows up and he's back to being like suave cool that brendan fraser the marquee movie star that we know and love and then we get on the boat. And so the movie does a really nice job of setting up these sort of factions that this is gold treasure that everybody and their brother and sister are going to be racing after. And so it's like a NASCAR race. It's like you have a bunch of cars that are all vrooming towards this one lost city to find this treasure or to discover the artifact or just to whether they're appreciating history, like the librarian character played by Rachel, or it's just they're treasure hunting like a lot of the other Americans or it's Brendan Fraser. You just have this thing like that. You're like, hey, I was so close before I can do this again. I love that setup, but then I'll play off of Eric's scene, Jacqueline, because I'll say what I really did enjoy, and it does harken back to Raiders of the Lost Ark very clearly, is when it's just before dawn, and we're all lined up with our camels, and we're all looking at each oh, yeah. other, and we're saying, okay, what is happening here? Are we just in the middle of a desert? And then 
the sun comes up and it shows us the city that we couldn't see before sunrise. And then we're all just off to the races. Look at that. Can you believe Amanatra? Here we go again. That was a cool scene that really got me into the feel of the movie. So as people know who've listened to this show before, my opinions are very malleable. I think more people could stand to have malleable movie opinions like mine. And so I can be one over and y'all already starting to get me with the pacing of this movie because I agree, Eric and Jacqueline, I think that this movie does move brilliantly. And look, there's just so many movies now. Like, there's been this uh, Twitter thing going on about, like, you know, I will die on the hill that no movie needs to be over two hours. And I will say that, like, I am not that person, but I think a lot of movies that should have been under two hours aren't. Um, (laughs) Because people forget this. Pulp Fiction is a three-hour movie. People forget that. Pulp Fiction is a three-hour movie, but tell me when you're watching Pulp Fiction if you feel that. No, you feel every vignette you're you're in it, you're invested, because every time they switch to a new setup, you're like, what's going to happen next, right? With this character and how is it going to tie into the big story? And this movie does the same. It's just brilliant pacing and it takes colorful writing to make that happen. But in the moments when it's not moving, it's still interesting. And my scene is actually one of those like not moving moments is when they get to Hamanatra after... um, Rachel Weiss's character, you know, with her little camel, like, dee, 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 dee. she like <laughs> makes her way up there, which I loved. I was like, yes, take it to the boys. Um, and they, you know, they found the mummy. The Americans have, you know, enacted the curse, but they haven't yet read from the book. And they are standing there with Glenn Fittich, a bottle of Glenn Fittich. And it's Rick and it's her. And she's like, mean it. This is something that gets left out of a lot of movies. It's how these two characters sort of fall in love a little bit. And her saying, you know, mean it and like throwing her thing. And my favorite part is when she comes up so drunk that is brilliant acting and she's just like, I am proud of what I am. And I am a librarian. That is, <laughs> I loved it. I loved it so much. I understand that girl as somebody who also knocks over things unintentionally, but likes books more than people. I, I lived for that character. I thought it was so, so well done. And I absolutely love that scene. What are you doing here? Oh, look, I, I may not be an explorer, or, or an adventurer, or a treasure seeker, or a gunfighter, Mr. O'Connell. But I am proud of what I am. And what is that? I am a librarian. Okay, but she also fell in love with this guy not when he was smooth brendan frazier when Here we he go. was a <laughs> barbaric sort of hulking mass of a locked up felon and he grabs her and forces her to kiss him and she's still thinking about that kiss when we're on the boat that recruits eric's scene and so listen she just, doesn't like that. She likes when he shaves and the music swells. She hears it yeah. in her own ears. <laughs> but wait a minute. To be fair, one of the biggest books of that time is a book called The Sheik, which is about a man that literally abducts a white woman, kind of 
similarly to Brendan Fraser in that opening scene, this sort of 1920s woman, she is the reason why romance novels today are so problematic because that is all those oh, heifers no. wanted. That is all those heifers wanted. They were li- they lived in such these gilded cages that the idea of some dude coming literally to come through the bars to come get them better than any fantasy they could think up on their own. So I actually say that is that is true to form. If Brendan <laughs> Frazier came through the bars of my See, window, I would is... be down to <laughs> go hang out. Down to clown. Down to clown, <laughs> baby. I would say, look, at least, because a lot of other movies might not have done this, at least Brendan yeah. Frazier's character had the class to once he is on the boat and he's showered and he's thinking in the right frame of mind again, that he says, like, oh, maybe it wasn't the best idea. Yes. And so, but then, but then immediately she's like, oh, it wasn't a good kiss. She's been thinking about that kiss. She didn't even want clean shaven <laughs> Brendan Fraser. She wants caveman and Sino man Brendan Fraser. I'm not, again, I find that that is actually well written. That like her being so put off by it. No, that is the biggest and best thing that has happened in her life that had anything to do with sex. I guarantee you. <laughs> that I is also like, say you're, you're kind of reminding me of something I have a problem with with movies today is that like uh, characters can be flawed as well. Uh, and I feel like today a lot of, um, not that this is necessarily a specific thing that I love about The Mummy, but just what you're talking about here. Um, you know, it, like any a critic, that criticism is like, uh, it's okay to disagree with a character or disagree with their intentions or what they want. And like sometimes we want things that we shouldn't, you know, whatever in a weird situation. Um, and I think that today everything's a little too clean. Like you mentioned um, Jungle Cruise earlier, I think, right? Which mm-hmm. Jungle Cruise, by the way, the op- the introduction of uh, Emily Blunt's character literally copy-pasted from the introduction of Rachel, Vi- Rachel Weisz's character from The Mummy, let's be clear. Um, but uh, like, we're talking like on the, the, the ladder in the library vibes, the right, exact same right. thing. Um, but... Uh, it sort of like in that movie, like you, they're perfect. They're clean. Like everything is just like, you know, squeaky clean. I, I feel like in something like that. And then back then, yeah, you could like disagree with their intentions or disagree with their actions, but uh, Brendan or Rachel, uh, but uh, that's okay. I think that's fine. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. That's a great point. And and I would say that I, I don't think it'd be out of character for Henry Jones Jr., or senior for that matter, to attempt the same thing in an Indiana Jones movie. So totally. I, I I don't think I don't think it's it, I'm not going to bury the movie like they buried Arnold Vosloo, but it's just like <laughs> really that's that's the thing that's the yeah. kiss really. I mean, look again. Uh, I'm not going to be I again. I was I was with it. I believed it. Um, also, too, like I I kind of feel for the characters just because all of the people in this were also having to deal with the fact that 
they were acting against tennis balls at a time when acting against tennis balls was like <laughs> not a thing. Like, right. this, yeah. like, like it's so funny. I always use this quote, but Jake Gyllenhaal, when he did um, Mysterio and Spider-Man, he was like turning to Tom Holland, who has been like Jake Gyllenhaal did his first movie when he was like six. And this dude has been doing movies for better part of three decades, but he had never done such a heavy CGI effort. Right. He's turning to Tom Holland like, hey, um, how <laughs> do I do this? Because yeah, I don't envy that. Yeah, jeez. But look at this. I mean, I think it's a testament to this film because, yeah, they didn't know what Imhotep was going to look like. They didn't know if the CGI at that point was even going to live up to that. This was such a new medium. I mean, they thought they could be in like, you know, a bad version of like Hans coming off of the tower and Die Hard. They didn't know. Um, but I, I think the VFX really is a testament to why this film is still beloved because you don't feel that like, oh, oh yeah. Like tell this. me there. Uh, and Mark, you tell me when you, you just watched it and you, you know, you're having some problems with it. You buy that the mummy's in the room with them, don't you? I do, and I, like, I have a very impressive. nice TV that I've bragged about on the show before. And the visual <laughs> effects, I okay, so I it's hard for me in my mind to separate the mummy in 1999 from the movie that I saw in theaters, the same theater three weeks later, which is Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. I went to go <laughs> see the mummy. I wanted to see it. I like Brendan Fraser, but I was also just sort of pre-gaming how I was scouting uh, locations for where the best place in the theater to sit would be for this <laughs> magical religious Star Wars experience I was going to have. And so it's like I'm kind of thinking demo. about that. You were, yeah, you were like doing like the, all the speakers were like firing to figure out where to sit. <laughs> it's exactly what I was doing. And then the movie starts and I'm having a good time in the movie, but the visual effects, I'm glad that we brought up that this was 1999 and how groundbreaking CGI was at the time. And if you want to know how hard it is to act against tennis balls, especially back in the day when people were just pioneering it, go watch Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Yeah. And you don't get any chemistry in that movie like you do with no. a number of the characters in The Mummy. So that's a big point in favor of The Mummy. I think The Mummy is is should be higher on the tomato meter than The Phantom Menace. You know, I, I would have both of them around the same place. And so it, The Phantom Menace has obviously bigger highlights for me, but... If you're talking about the mummy and the visual effects and it holding up, yes, I think it does. And I think that it's a movie that you can put on. I think that's why future generations, maybe even the Eric Strifflers of the world who are younger than me have fallen in love with this movie is because <laughs> you can put it on the small screen and you can still buy the movie. The The visual yeah. effects do not get in the way of the movie. And that's a that, that's a big achievement to say 22 years after the fact. Yeah. Yeah, I think honestly, I think a lot of effects from back then are better than today. I don't I can't put my finger on it. I don't know exactly what it is. Maybe it's because it's so much. Well, I don't want to say easier, obviously, and like, you know, disrespect all the incredible hard work that goes into visual effects. But uh, it's it's more accessible, I guess, like the technology has gotten easier. Uh, and so it's almost taken for granted. And I think back then everything was a little more intentional. Maybe that's the word. Everything felt more intentional. And yeah, like so. When you see uh, the first introduction of the mummy or any time that he's on there and it's the full, you know, the CG mummy, I full, it's imposing, it's scary. You don't even think about the fact that this is an effect. Uh, you you just are like, there's the mummy. The mummy is in the room with them. And, uh, and you mentioned, you know, technically this is, a remake, quote unquote, or a reimagining of the original Boris Karloff film, right? Kinda. Uh, yeah. So that's the idea, I guess, technically, you know, a new spin on it. But uh, in the same way that I feel like people, you know, the, the original mummy was imposing from, I, I guess that's the 30s probably. Yeah. Uh, this mummy, I think, is just as imposing, even though he's not technically in the room. Yeah, it, like you said, it's you're acting with a tennis ball. They look scared. I believe it. I buy it. And it makes me completely buy that he is in the room uh, 
spooking it up. <laughs> it's it's really funny too for a boogeyman movie, which you know Universal's known for. They're the one that did of this course. whole monster verse with like the Mummy, the Invisible Man, and Dracula, and still doing it, you know, to this day. But I think what's interesting about this one is it's the chase. He's coming for you. It's it's that aspect of it, and I think. I mean, I don't know. Is there, there's like so many effects that happen with it because it's the mummy, but it's also the sand effect. And if I'm being really honest, one of my other favorite scenes is the scene when Rick, or I don't know if it's the one where Rick does it on purpose or it's the one where he just stumbles across the cat and he like shows it. And then he does that like, I'm leaving. When he holds it up and he's like, here, look at this. (laughs) I don't know if it's that one or just the one where the cat walks across the piano. piano, right, yeah. Either one, but the effect of like the face sort of like whooshing by, that particular scene I thought was really great. And also the sand scene at the beginning when Brendan Fraser's at Hamanatra in like the opening montage and He's like basically being attacked by the sand below. And then they show that like deep sunken sand face thing. Like I think like a lot of the the mummy effects scenes also sort of like make the movie, even when, you know, again, he's not really attacking them at that moment. All right, let's go ahead and think about another thing that folks are still talking about, which is why people are still obsessed with this movie. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know, Eric, what do you think? Like, is there, is it, is it just because we love Brendan Fraser and he kind of disappeared? Is it because there hadn't been movies like this in a while? Is it because it was also like this millennial nostalgia-filled generation that we are a part of? Not you, sir. I don't know. You're a millennial, right? I'm 30. Okay, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, what, this, is, what does that Eric, put you? I don't want to put any pressure on you, but this is this is my big question about this movie. It's Hit not me. whether it's yeah. an enjoyable, rollicking adventure that swashbuckles its way for two hours. It's why is it just like hailed as this beloved yeah. all time sort of classic from the last 20 years? That's that, that, that's the that's the hurdle I'm trying to get over. I think honestly, I think a thing that's been really missing for movies today. And again, I have to bring it up. You brought it up and it, and it, it makes sense. Jungle Cruise is trying to be this basically, you know, it's trying to be the mummy for today. I think that the big difference is that. Uh, you're inv- you're really more invited along for the ride with with a movie like The Mummy. Uh, you're invited along for the ride. It feels like the people making the movie are like running along with you through this thing. Like it doesn't feel like you're just watching. It feels like you're really enveloped by it. Um, and uh, and I feel like that's the big thing is that uh, you you are wrapped up uh, to use that pun again. Uh, wrapped up in it in a way that makes you feel involved. Uh, and, and there's more of a like outside looking in quality to movies that are trying to do it today. Um, I, I, I don't, it, I mean, I, I hope that makes sense. I, I think that that's a thing that's really missing these days and The Mummy gets perfectly right. Like right from the start, it's the, uh, you know, it draws you in with the with the humor, obviously Brendan's charm and uh, and the, the effects, the effects being again, that you actually buy that he's in the room, uh, The Mummy. And, um, and so I think that, I think that's what really, it, Obviously, outside of the movie itself, there's a nostalgia element. Like people are remembering like that time of their lives and stuff. And if you're at a certain age, that's that might be childhood. So you're remembering maybe like a simpler time. Uh, but um, it's just not sort of like uh, there's no cynicism. There's absolutely no cynicism at all. Uh, it is completely. You can feel the heart in it. Uh, you can feel uh, its intention is is um genuine and uh it like literally it, it almost feels like everyone in the room today you know there's so many different people in the room that are trying to do this we got to promote a product we got to sell toys we got to do this we got to set up sequels and with this movie it feels like everyone in the room was like we got to entertain the people 
And that's exactly what I think is the uh, the the lasting impact from it. Pure I entertainment. Agree. Yeah, pure, I agree. Yeah, pure just no like, ulterior hey, just motives, just turn, entertainment. Yeah. Turn your brain off. If you took a history class once upon a time, maybe you'll get some sort of juice out of the fact that we are basing this around actual things and rituals that could have happened in ancient Egypt. So I get all of that. But the the standing legacy of this movie to me, because Jacqueline also compared a lot of these to Romancing the Stone, uh, which is or Jewel of the Nile as well, which is like those are fun movies, but. I, I don't know that people I, I would put this more in that category where it's a fun movie to watch and then I'm going to move on with my life as opposed to something that is as iconic as Indiana Jones. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's not look, Indiana Jones is it puts it in a different char- characteristic when you're talking about John Williams, Steven Spielberg and Harrison Ford. Like, let's be mm-hmm. honest. Um, and George Lucas along for, you know, the producing and, and so on and so forth. But it does have its own little niche. And I do think it was a movie of a certain generation that that particular time, I feel like from 95 to like 2002, the things that people are nostalgic about from that time period, this is when people were in high school. This is when, you know, that generation was in high school. And that generation is the most nostalgic generation that we've had. Like Gen Z people are not near as nostalgic about the things like the way that millennials are. And I also think that they're the ones driving a lot of this on the internet. And it's what's great is like, you know, getting ready to watch this. It's readily available. The mummy is like played very often on like TNT. And so like, it's a movie that like you can find fairly easily. So I would say that's part of it, but who are we to judge? We're just going to love it. I don't know why I like popcorn. I just like popcorn. I have a hot take. I have a very hot take about Uh this movie. So again, (laughs) this movie came out. Think about when this movie came out, 1999, three weeks before Star Wars, but it's like, right. It's that first big summer blockbuster, right? So Mm -hmm. a bunch of kids starting to get out of school and there's a whole generation of kids that maybe are going on their very first date or they can drive now and they have like the summer to do that. You're not going to see Star Wars because back then there was still just a little bit of a nerd stigma around Star Wars that doesn't exist as much today. A, a but little also, bit. A little yeah. bit. But you also... <laughs> a lot of bit. <laughs> you, you couldn't even get tickets to go see Phantom Menace because it was sold out for three weeks. And so yeah. The Mummy is like the core date movie where you go. And so a lot... I have a feeling a lot of couples got together because of The Mummy because they went to go see The Mummy and it's just got that adventure tone where a boy and a girl are falling in love against all odds, against everything attacking them. They sort of see eye to eye and they have great chemistry. I think that's one of the reasons why there is such heavy nostalgia for this movie. I think it was a lot of people's first date. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I will say, I think the internet has a lot to do with it too because back then you wouldn't be able to know what everybody thinks immediately. You could really only talk to the people around you. You could talk to other people that saw it. And I think that it was at the, this you know perfect time where over the next decade the internet really came up, and I think that like probably early you, you know you kind of nowadays on the internet you find your people you know what I mean like you find if you have like a niche thing that you love or or even like a broad thing that you love you find out oh other people like this too and I think that that happened with the mummy as well and that's why it's popular today you see it on the internet and stuff uh, a lot um, uh, I think it's it's one of those things where it's like. Loved it so much, didn't know everybody else enjoyed it as much as I did. Oh, let's all talk about it. We didn't get to talk about it then. We can talk about it now. And I'll add to like to the nostalgia thing. I remember my parents were in high school in the 70s and 80s. And that's when like Star Wars and Indiana Jones came out. So my dad would share with me the films of his childhood, so to speak, 
And so I, in the early 90s, as a kid, like a tiny kid was watching Star Wars and Indiana Jones. Then all of a sudden, a few years later, The Mummy comes out. I'd been waiting. It was like, why aren't movies like this? The Mummy comes out and it's like that same feeling. So it's like this, being being a millennial, I feel like that's another aspect too. It's like, our parents kind of opened the doors for us and the amazing um, world of films coming out, Steven Spielberg and Harrison Ford movies coming out in the 70s and 80s. And it's like that carried it through, I think, in The Mummy. Same sort yeah. of energy. And to borrow a song title from a great band, I think this movie now is the best of both worlds because it came out in, like Eric said, 99. So it was before really you had all of this like intense movie scrutiny online. Had this movie come out today with a 2021 lens, there's a lot of problematic elements of it. But we give movies a pass if they were made before that was a hot button issue that was brought to the masses in a way that it is now. And so if there's whitewashing, if there pretty much anybody who is not a white person in this movie is is a villain immediately. What like like we don't even trust them. We we don't we, we don't want to give them the benefit of the doubt. And so all of that is a problem. But because this movie came out at a time where we, we know who it is. We've already seen the movie and we go back and watch it. I don't think that it's judged as harshly, which for better, for worse. I mean, again, Stephen Sommers, this is probably the best movie he made. You know, okay, I, well, you're I, forgetting about Van Helsing, but that's fine. That's a different episode. <laughs> Van Helsing, <laughs> you have G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra. I mean, this is his opus. Yeah. Hey, yeah, and, for sure, for sure. Yeah. And definitely got him a lot of work going, going sure. forward. I mean, the movie yeah. made money. It was a classic and we'll kind of... We'll kind of get into that um, when we break down uh, when we break down for our uh, behind the scenes stuff. So let's go ahead and transition over to that one, because there's a lot that went into this movie that we didn't even talk about thus far, even though we've talked about a lot. So, Brian, cue us up. So, as I mentioned, this movie made a lot of money. (laughs) It made four. $416 million at the box office worldwide off of a $62 million budget. Um, But some say maybe 80. Either way, still made a ton. Uh, Sixth highest grossing film of 99. I I think this was a movie I definitely saw in the theater. I remember that trailer for this movie was absolutely incredible. I was so invested the minute I saw that trailer. What about you, Mark? It was a theater. You said it was a theater one for you. What about you, Eric? Theater, right? Well, it's also the Super Bowl spot, too. Yes, this, that's oh what gosh, it was. This had a Super Bowl. And I and I distinctly remember watching this, uh, seeing the Super Bowl ad because it was my freshman year in college. That's my age, Eric. And <laughs> we saw it and, and we're all just like all gathered around the dorm room. And there's two commercials that I remember from that Super Bowl. One is a Mitsubishi commercial because they used Ozzy's crazy train in it. The other one <laughs> was just that face of the sand with the mummy and everybody freaking out and losing their minds. Like, that's going to be cool. Yeah. No, I remember that one. Was that also the year that they did 3D Doritos? I think that was the one. Remember was the a- girl? Like, she had the chip go into her mouth, like fly into her mouth. Ooh, Allie that's good. Something. I, I got to research that. Time. I remember that what a it was time. also the <laughs> debut of Family Guy was right after that, that Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, Family Guy. They hated that, that show at first. I remember Fox got in so People were like, what is this? They were not about it. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, 20 years later, it is still on the air. The baby, <laughs> the baby can't talk. 
Um, what's interesting about this one, too, is for all of the CGI it had, what it didn't have was those like, oh, this is not really you doing your own stunts uh, wide shots. Because it seems like everybody in the film, Rachel, Brendan, everybody was like, I'm going to do even the Egyptologist guy that was with her calling her the plague. He was even wielding a sword like that was the other thing, too. I really loved watching the stunts from this one. Uh, Do you have a favorite sort of, you know, watching Brendan Fraser be Link in his awesomeness stunt, Mark, that you enjoyed? I mean, I I, I just I I love the the stories of stunts behind the scenes. And, And Eric, I don't know if you saw this. There was a stuntman that like broke both their arms during this movie. Like they were doing something and just like, and and it sucks. And like I hate hearing stories like that. But you're also like, man, they really put them through a lot. But the final product was it worth it? I, you know, the the movie made a crap load of money. So well, yeah. also I didn't correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Brendan Fraser hurt himself a lot around this time by doing yeah. these stunts? Like, didn't he kind of mess? I think he's gone on record saying he kind of messed his body up a bunch because he was like doing things that may look, you know, I have all the respect in the world for people that do their own stunts, but also it can mess you up. You know, like there's a way to do it right. And there's a way, and there's a, you know, he, if you're not a professional stunt person that, you know, you might do it wrong. And I, I, uh, so, I mean, yeah, it looks great, but like you said, yeah, is it worth it? I mean, yeah, for the movie, sure. But in life, he, I remember he said, uh, I, uh, that it really kind of messed him up. Yeah, several back surgeries to sort of uh, yeah. repair from that. If you haven't seen, and shout out to Mark Hoffmeyer who detailed this along with uh, an incredible documentary that is a part of the the DVD Blu-ray that I possess, ladies and gentlemen. Let me tell you, my love from the mummy goes deep. Um, <laughs> there's a great doc that breaks down how they did the VFX, but there's a recent GQ article where Brendan sort of details like why he fell off and why folks are so excited for his resurgence right now. He's about to be in a Scorsese movie. Incredible. Uh, just Incredible. like the guy's really coming back, I think, with a vengeance in a, in a really great way. But yeah, he definitely talks about how his body went through it for this. And he's kind of a cautionary tale now um, for, I think, that that sort of aspect of it. You could ruin your life in the in the pursuit of your craft. Also, I have to shout out uh, Kevin O'Connor, uh, who plays Benny. Oh, that's his name. Okay, yeah. I yeah, Kevin name. O'Connor yeah. plays Benny. First of all, when I first saw this movie, I was staring at him and I was just like, who is this dude? And he is... <laughs> <laughs> He's in two very girly movies that y'all probably don't know, but one of them is Peggy Sue Got Married with Kathleen Turner, where yep. she wakes up and Nicolas Cage, that was the last Francis Ford Coppola movie he ever did because Francis Ford Coppola was so mad that Nicolas Cage did that weird accent in it. <laughs> so he fired his nephew. And he was also in Steel Magnolias. He played Daryl Hannah's love interest in that. He played Sammy, but he had a totally different physique in those movies. He lost a lot of weight in the latter part of his career to the point where like his first half of his career, he's a different looking actor from the second half. Like you have to squint to see it. And there's a great line that he improvised in this movie, apparently. And it's when Brendan Fraser is about to shoot him because he's the one that's sort of, you know, Benedict Arnold him at the very beginning of the movie. So Brendan Fraser finds him on the boat when we're yeah. all going back towards finding this lost city. And Fraser just pulls a gun on him. He's about to cap him right there. And he's like, I think about my my, my, my children. And that, <laughs> that was improvised. And so then Fraser plays off it and says, you don't have any kids. He's like, but maybe someday. <laughs> it's, like, it's, just a, it's a really fun exchange. And, and you're and you go back and you watch that. You're like, that was improvised. They, they, they played it so well. Yeah, he's a, he's a really underrated like side guy in a lot of different stuff. He's great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he's, his sliminess is very true to form in my personal opinion. Like his sliminess is what did him in and what saved him. 
Because if he wouldn't have just been greedy and would have just ridden off with that camel and not gone back for more, he could have lived to see another day. But also being slimy with him going through literally every religion like as a way to sort of make sure that he was going to make it to some form of an afterlife is what allowed him to survive and become Imhotep's little little bitch for for (laughs) the movie. When he has the little, all the different pendants and stuff is incredible. Yeah, when he's just like, one of these has to work. One of these has to work. He's just just an enterprising young man. I mean, he he made a cottage industry out of taking stupid Americans like me who were like, oh, I saw Indiana Jones. I want to go look for treasure. And he's like, all right, I'll take you halfway there. And then you can die on your own and I'll go find the next boat. It's like, (laughs) I I, I do not hold any ill will against Benny whatsoever. I'll also give a big shout out to my boy, Arnold Vosloo, who I did love from Hard Target. And he showed up in this. I'm like, that's the guy from Hard Target. But he also, he was, so apparently he wasn't in the best of shape when they were, when, when he initially got cast for this movie and the first time that he tried on his costume it was like basically a, a, a glorified g-string and so the costume <laughs> designer went back to steven somers and they said hey uh arnold uh, we, we might have a fat mummy he we, we need you know to do something about this mummy and so Vosloo just like started getting in great shape he'd walk his dog all around la like i did during the pandemic and you just get in better shape and so he got in mummy shape by basically walking his dog around la because he tried the costume on once but he also like tried to do an approximation of ancient egypt like the way that they would speak back then with a professor from like uc davis or something like that so he really went in deep and and i appreciate that about somebody who again you could just be a throwaway villain but he invested into this craft and i think the the final product reveals that so are you are you in mummy shape by the way now after walking your dog around i, I mean say, i feel like a mummy now like <laughs> I, different kind of mummy shape i don't know <laughs> if that kind. works <laughs> i just remember in the research too he was like i'm playing a high priest like there's no way those guys were fit uh, me being soft would be perfect. And then he was like, I'll be naked for the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, he's thinking of it like a real serious thing, but meanwhile, it's just like a fun thing. Yeah. 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 Uh, Eric, you got any behind the scenes facts? I hear you got some stuff on this one. Well, I'll tell you what, it's it's uh, less of a behind the scenes thing and more of a, um, almost sort of um, uh, sideways slantier. But the that one of the, uh, 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 something I wanted to make sure I got in here, an enduring element of this movie is uh, two roller coasters on each coast. Uh, the Mummy Ride uh, in uh, in Universal Studios Hollywood and Orlando. Yes. Um, and that, that it, you know, you just made me think of it because you're asking behind the scenes. I don't know if you've been on it recently. First of all, it's my favorite ride. Uh, I think it's my favorite ride ever. And I'm definitely going to get a tattoo at some point that is like in brackets, uh, a mummy, uh, mummy whoosh Brendan screams or something from the ending of the ride. The one in Orlando specifically. But the whole, uh, uh, in case you don't remember, the whole um, idea of the ride, like the queue, is that you're behind the scenes of the movie. Like they're basically basically saying that on the set there was a bunch of spooky stuff going on and the ride literally again maybe just the Orlando one it's been a while since I've been on the Hollywood one it literally ends with you you know you finish the ride and there's a screen in front of you and it's Brendan Fraser thanking you for riding the ride saying he would have had a better time if he had gotten a cup of coffee like he's on the set of the movie basically uh and so in my mind growing up that is like kind of part of the behind the scenes of the movie. Part of the movie is the ride in my mind. Um, and so I don't know if you guys like that ride, if you've been on it recently, but that's I wanted to make sure I got that in there because it is 
incredible. Oh, it's fantastic. It is fantastic. And I'm not a huge theme park guy in my adult life just because I, I have naps to take and sports to watch. But <laughs> when I get to a theme park, I do embrace it, whether it's a Disneyland or whether it's Universal Studios, which is yeah. I, I live in the shadow of. And so I went there a couple years ago with Molly's mom. And we went to the Wizarding World and we got Butterbeers and it was great. But the Mummy ride was the headlines. I'd never been on it before. And it, it, I do joke about it that it's kind of like if you get in the bedroom with me. It's very fast. It's memorable. And then you're done. And it, the, the movie literally is 45. The, the ride is 45 seconds long. It's like you start, you go zero to 60 super fast. You go back the other way. It is such an enjoyable ride. And then you're just like, all right. Uh, th that that was very quick. And is your uh, Tinder maybe, bio such an enjoyable ride? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's. I, I think maybe the movie could have benefited a little more from the brevity of the ride. I think this movie could have been about 20, 25 minutes slimmer. Really? Yeah. What? Really? What would, wh how? How is that possible? It's Dude. two hours and four minutes. So good. Good. I'm. And honestly, it's too short. <laughs> it is too. It is too short. Man, you know, it, it, I, honestly, you got I sequels. You got well, sequels. so I was just yeah, going to say, don't, I don't returns. have his love for the sequels. <laughs> okay, well, I'll tell you. Well, the, no, the Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, we don't even talk about that. That never happened. But uh, the primarily just because they recast the actress. Yeah, Maria yeah. Maria Bello is great, but it just like it just doesn't fit. It in doesn't there. work. Yeah, no. But, but I, like, I did put on a little bit of the Mummy Returns last night after yeah. I finished the Mummy, and and I found that just as enjoyable. So. I, uh, how about that, everybody who loves The Mummy? I will defend The Mummy Returns as well, and that movie should definitely be fresh. So I feel okay. So I feel like those two. That's what I was going to say. Is I think I mentioned earlier. I think I saw The Mummy Returns before I saw The Mummy because I saw it in theaters and then went back and watched The Mummy. I'm pretty sure I was at an age where I was like, oh, this doesn't look too scary, and I I went back and caught up on them. But uh, I will say The Mummy Returns. You were talking about you know like The Mummy could be shorter, could be longer. Um, but when I jokingly was, you know, thinking it sh could be longer, it honestly kind of feels like The Mummy Returns is a good enough sequel that it feels like an extension of the first movie. It almost feels like they're two in one. It, it When I think of The Mummy, I don't just think of the first movie. I think of both. Um, and uh, I guess the biggest criticism probably of the sequel is the kid. I think, you know, it was a big thing going on at the time where they would just add a kid as yeah. the like protagonist, you know, like the audience surrogate. And I know that was a big complaint a lot of people had about that movie and to other movies. Even today that happens. But um, as far as the swashbuckling goes the vibe of it the effects everything aside from the rock obviously at the end um the i do feel like you it's almost like you get uh two movies in one you know like when you see like a, a box set in target or something like that it feels like the perfect like you could watch one and then the other without stopping and it's just like a perfect double feature so i think that that adds that retroactively adds to the mummy i agree i agree Very have you been well on the said. ride jacqueline have, have you yes. been on the I was just about to say, I was on the one in Orlando in the, another the life. One. I, I want to make it clear. The Orlando one is longer and, and better. It's, it is oh, longer. Wow. It is yes. longer, it's longer in Orlando. It is, the, yeah. it is definitely better. So I was on the one in Orlando. Is it still there? It, damn right. It's still there. They just updated wow. actually the uh, the visual elements of it, like the projection stuff. Love that. Love that. So, no, I was at I've been to the one in 99 back in another life when I worked for real corporate overlords. Uh, we did our convention at uh, Orlando and it was Universal Studios and we all got Ooh. together and did our little celebration. It Some was fun happened that night. <laughs> yeah. Do you like the part where you get like sprayed in the face? Yes. I hate I it. Is that supposed that. to be blood or glass? I don't know. I never but know because it's right when the glass breaks and I'm like, is this supposed to be the person's blood or <laughs> glass breaking? I don't know what this is. I just, I'm always I, for a nice mist during a... Yeah. 
theme park ride, but now I got to try day. the one at Universal. I, I think the big question is this, because we can debate the movie merits all we want. The Mummy, <laughs> I think, pales in comparison to the great Indiana Jones films, but the Indiana Jones ride versus the Mummy ride. Yeah. Oh, geez, that's tough. That is tough. Um, I haven't done Indiana Jones, so I don't know. Oh, my gosh, it's incredible. Well, our, so that's uh, only in on, on this coast, on, on the West Coast. Uh, so the Mummy ride... The better mummy ride is on the East Coast. The the Indiana Jones ride's on the West Coast. So it's it's almost it almost feels like um it's hard to compare them because it feels like different worlds theme park wise. But uh the one's a roller coaster, so I'll give it that. I think I still gotta go with the mummy, even though the Indiana Jones ride is incredible. The mummy ride is a is a full on roller coaster in the Yeah, dark. I'm going with the mummy ride as well yeah. for the ride itself. But Indiana yeah. Jones is better because as soon as you get off when you're in the exit line, you walk out and boom, right there is the Dole Whip stand, which is why you go to <laughs> yeah. Disneyland. I love that. I absolutely love that. Dole Whip stand. I'm about it. All right, kids. That's it for us on Behind the Scenes Talk. The fun is not over, though, ladies and gentlemen. We are about to open up our mailbag and hear from you. So, Brian, cue the music. All righty, then. So, that's it? Just that one little note, Lucy? I just want to make sure. <laughs> yeah. We're keeping it short and sweet today. <laughs> Please leave this in because I literally was like, wait a minute, this is not. I almost uh, did something shorter. Somebody just emailed me yesterday and all they said was event horizon. I <laughs> short and sweet of about it. That gets the point across. <laughs> when you uh, email us, you can email us. RT is wrong at RottenTomatoes.com, by the way. RT is wrong way. at RottenTomatoes.com. You, you're allowed to type words if you want to, to defend the movie that you're asking us to review. That always helps. I'm just saying, normally we get these like magnum opuses of like, this is why and I love you. But Ray Vickers, man, <laughs> you are short, sweet and to the point. He just says, would you guys consider doing a show on the movie Adventures in Babysitting with Elizabeth Shue? Thanks. You guys are awesome. I yes. mean, we don't need much more. There's a lot of people that contend that this is a Karate Kid sequel. Um, that this is what happened to Allie after she disappears in the Karate Kid 2. If this is a Karate Kid sequel, then this is the best Karate Kid movie ever made because <laughs> Adventures in Babysitting, I'll tell you what, if I'm ranking on-screen babysitters, you can throw Mary Poppins at me. You can even throw Christina Applegate and Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. I'll put Mrs. Sturrock from the beginning of that movie in the conversation. They all are the mummy to Elizabeth Shue's Indiana Jones of babysitters. <laughs> Elizabeth Shue is the all-time cinematic breadwinner when it comes to babysitters. I love that movie. We should definitely talk about the very first on-screen appearance of Thor. <laughs> yes, yes, that is the first on-screen appearance. Eric, have you seen the movie, young man? No, I, and I'm curious now about the Thor aspect of it. <laughs> I'm not telling you anymore. You got to go watch the movie. <laughs> got it. <laughs> also, let me also add, I, it's great that you love her as a babysitter, Mark, but is it because she flashes the kids? Because if I recall correctly, she flashes the kids in like the first five minutes of that movie. I, I'm going to, I'm going to contend that. I don't remember <laughs> that happening. You have to okay. pay extra for that. <laughs> I think she does. Did my I think parents she just does. tape it off TV and not show me the full Adventures in Babysitting? I think she does. I do think she does. She is the sexiest woman alive, even today. Yeah, even she, today. Well, yeah, she's on the boys, I, right? I am not. Yeah. Yes, she is. Oh, yeah. yeah. She's got, I'm ready Love for the next Love me some Elizabeth Shue. I am totally down to do that episode. If my, yeah. if my husband ever left me, it would be for her. He's, <laughs> yeah. Ever since Karate Kid, he was like, she's the one. That's the hall pass. Yeah. 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 Lucy's yeah. husband, who, by the way, big fan of Eric and pretty much it. 
Oh yeah, yeah that's, true. <laughs> that's fantastic. I love yeah. that. <laughs> yep, he he got me into it. He's a big fan. That's awesome. I'm a big fan. That's awesome. I like it. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is going to be it for us today. Um, Eric, sir, thank you so much for joining us. This was so much fun. It thank was you a laugh so much for having me. Blast. Yeah, I love. Uh, I could talk about the mummy all day. I love it. Thank you for having me. This was great. Um, but before you go, tell folks where uh, what you're working on, where they can find you. And if you can, please, sir, give us a movie recommendation because we know you are a man in the know. Got it. Yeah. So uh, uh, well, you can find me on pretty much it. It's uh, you can go to YouTube.com slash pretty much it to find uh, that's kind of, that's a good like starting place. And you can go from there. Uh, and I'm not personally on social media as much. So I'm just going to push pretty much it. I, I recommend checking out pretty much it. Uh, and then my movie recommendation actually is uh, it's <laughs> I've been thinking about it. I don't know why I've been thinking about it so much this week, but it was when I was trying to think of what I should recommend. It, it It's just the first thing that popped into my mind. So I'm going to go with my gut here. It's a movie from 2005 called Cry Wolf. Yeah. Remember that? Cry underscore wolf. It was that era. (laughs) Um, It is a, I guess it'd be considered a guilty pleasure, but um, it is, uh, I feel like like a lot of people would appreciate it more with the rise of games like Among Us and stuff. You know, there's obviously people play werewolf, uh, but any of those games where you're, you're, you know, you're trying to find who is the, who's the imposter, who is the werewolf, et cetera. Um, it's one of those kind of movies. And it, uh, 2005, uh, it's, it's got t- the early 2000s vibes for sure. Uh, but the, the behind the scenes of it is really interesting. It's a great movie. I love that movie. And that's my recommendation. And that's like a bunch of rich kids who get a boarding school, right? Yeah. I got to nice. go back and I don't know that I ever actually saw that, though. That's it. That's a great wreck. I, I got to yeah. You check out Adventures in Babysitting. I'll check out Cry Wolf. Done. Done. Awesome. <laughs> hey, and now we all have homework for our next episode. <laughs> uh, but before we get there, just remind you all again, wherever you are listening to us, whatever platform, whatever provider, please make sure you rate, subscribe, follow, leave us a review, tell your friends. Just want to get the word out because we really do love this podcast. And according to Vulture, we are fine. that is a little shade but it is absolutely true we got a write up fine or like foin you know he literally says in the top line rotten tomatoes is wrong is fine and you know what i appreciate any press i will take fine it's better than bad right yeah what's 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 wrong with fine again you're talking to a guy who survived on d minus and still got a diploma so i I will ellis's review of the mummy what's wrong with fine the mummy is fine and i will get it up to because i love y'all and and you did do a good job defending the movie today i'll get the movie up to like rotten tomatoes is wrong this movie should be like 67 68 maybe even 70 percent. i'll give it a c minus you're still falling short maybe like 30 percent for me but that's okay i i'm actually okay with that i i appreciate your malleability as you say about your opinion on movies mark i really think we need it more in the world oh gosh yeah email us your recommendations at rt is wrong and next week mark what are we doing uh, this is something that I think a lot of people are going to give an A or A plus to. And then we had the ending, which I'm sure we'll talk about. We are going deep into the Sopranos. Tony and the whole gang, mm. the whole series, HBO's landmark television, The Sopranos. Followed <laughs> wow. by the week after where we go deep into John from Cincinnati. Wow. I mean, I woke up this morning and I got myself a gun. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> I can't wait to talk about this show because I had to do a deep dive of it fairly recently. We'll, we'll talk about it next week, but I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to talk about this because we have The Many Saints of Newark coming out. Yeah, I was just going to ask. Movie. Yeah, that's out, coming out soon. Yeah, right? yeah. premieres yeah. it. So it's going to be exciting. Yeah, premieres at, I think, New York Film Festival. Don't quote me on that one, but it, definitely one of those ones that I had to keep out of lookout. Anyway, join us for that one next week. Again, I want to thank, again, Mr. Brian Perez, Producy Lucy, our guest today, Eric Striffler, and also <laughs> my co-host, Mr. Mark Ellis. As always, thank you all for listening, and we'll see you all next week. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.